today we're talking about blockchain. Is it one of the most important technological innovations since the internet? Or is it simply a solution looking for a problem? Plus we'll be asking the question, how can blockchain escape the extreme highs and lows of cryptocurrencies? Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman London. I'm Chris Byrne. Our guests today certainly know their stuff. We'll be chatting with Liberty York, founder of TechTales, and Edelman's own Simon Chan to give us the lowdown on the world of blockchain, bust some blockchain myths, and share their predictions for the future of this technology. Liberty launched TechTales to explore new technologies, de-jargoning what they are and demystifying how they work to make technology more understandable and accessible. Simon is the global lead of Emerger Edelman, which works with startups and scale-ups in emerging technologies. He was also a founding partner of the Blockchain for Good think tank. He's currently based out of London, but will soon be working from the Edelman Hong Kong office. Thank you both for joining us today. Uh, so it'll be good to uh, to get started by getting a better understanding of your roles at the moment. Um, Libby, you've worked in a whole variety of roles in the tech industry. What inspired you to uh, start TechTales? Well, I found that when I was, so I used to previously um, help run an innovation agency where we were working with very large corporates and um, helping to bring startups in so, so that the two kind of worlds could better engage. And what I was finding is that increasingly sort of round executive boards and sort of tables in, uh, conf- in sort of conference meetings at corporates, um, lots of people would mention uh, new and emerging technologies and lots of people there were people in the organization that definitely knew what they were talking about and were kind of starting to explore it but there was a bit of a silence and a sort of disquiet around the table where people were going i feel like i should know what this is and i really don't and there's no safe space in which i can kind of ask so i wanted to kind of fill that gap a little bit and try and create safe spaces through events through training through which we can really kind of get to the bottom of what an emerging technology is and how it works Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Simon, what's the difference between a standard client agency relationship and what uh, the Emerge section does? I think at the heart of Emerge is um, really around how can we help startup and scale-up companies become three things, famous, funded, and filled. Now, I'll unpack that a little bit because it's three random words. Um, Famous, obviously, um, so they can sell the product, so they can uh, increase awareness, um, funded because they can only be as successful as they are funded and increasingly filled. Um, a lot of startups and scale ups are competing not only with each other for talent, um, but increasingly we're seeing that um, they are competing with large tech companies and every other company because every, every company these days um, have a tech element. Um, so Emerge really kind of focuses around how we deliver that. We do that through a number of different ways. We have sprint methodology in how we design our um, our programs for our startup and scale-up clients because obviously it needs to meet their needs. Um, we work on a minimal viable product basis to make sure that we can bring the best of Edelman but get things done uh, far quicker um, and meet the job that's at hand for, for these companies. Sure. Okay, let's get down to business. The most obvious question what is blockchain? Uh, Libby, with your best tech tail hat on, can you try to give us an explanation, an analogy? 
Sure. Okay, so let's frame it slightly. So I'm going to give you kind of one explanation for blockchain, and then I'm going to help try and set some context. So um, I'd say the blockchain is a set of technologies that basically allow one internet user to transfer digital ownership of something to another user in a way that is really secure, it's provenly legitimate, and it's totally transparent. Now, let's actually, that doesn't really necessarily help us, so let's unpack what that actually means. And I find it quite useful to explore circumstances in which we might want to use blockchain. So one I like to think of is property. Um, so Chris, do you own a house? I wish. You wish? You live in London, right? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So let's just imagine that you own a house, right? So you're in your house. What do you have that actually proves that you own that property? You would have owner's documents, a certificate. Great. So in the UK, exactly that. So we have things called like title deeds, like proper deeds to the property. Um, in the UK, they're totally digitised. So we have the land registry, which is the central central authority um, of who owns what. So if there was any quibble or any kind of problem, um, we'd all go to the land registry and the land registry would be the arbitrator, essentially almost the arbitrator and say, this is the record we have. Chris, yes, you do absolutely own that property. Um, but this system, the reason I like to flag it is it sometimes does fall down. And there was a great example, I think it was actually earlier it was earlier last week um, where the system kind of breaks down there was a chap in Leicester who purchased his council house through the right to buy scheme totally legitimately um, but the land registry accidentally through a convincing error registered him also as the owner of the property next door he's been trying to give this back for about five years and hasn't been able to make any headway on this um, now um, so at a basic level this is an example of a transaction which has kind of gone wrong it's a transaction error so here we have on the one side, one party who hasn't paid for something, they haven't signed up to it, agreed or anything, or the seller hasn't um, approved it. Um, and there are examples of transaction errors in various different elements of life. Um, but essentially, blockchain fits into that because it creates an infrastructure for transactions. Um, so it's systems that allow um, computers to keep digital ledgers. So ledgers that record transactions about what has happened and how ownership is transferred between people. So in the case of property, for instance, it, you would have a ledger that records house A that was earned by person Z, who then transferred it to person Y. And the way that a ledger is actually really useful is that we can look back through it and we can see not only what's happening right now, so the fact that now person Z owns that property, but we also have an auditable record. So we can go, well, we can prove that person X owns this property because we can see all the approved transactions that happen to get us to that state. Um, and so what blockchain provides is a system of ledger keeping, record keeping, that allows us to really prove and see the transactions are happening. The other element that makes it really different is the fact that um, blockchain leverages something called uh, distributed computing. Um, so that ledger, rather than being kept and held by one system, such as in our case, you know, the land registry are looking at blockchain systems to try and make their systems more efficient, more secure. Um, but actually, it's that fact that you don't need to have one authority that owns the record keeping process. Instead, we could actually have many different computer systems around the world, as long as they're running the same software, the same code, could actually all be involved in keeping this ledger up to date. Um, through this distributed computing, it means that the ledgers uh, kept up to date independently, and essentially it's automated. The computers are the ones that agree on what is appropriate, what is authorised, and what is able to go onto the ledger. 
So to kind of step back again, so that's kind of one context. It's essentially blockchain is being applied in areas where you have lots of different transactions going on between people. Transactions not just of things, of like property, but also data ownership, who gets access over data. Um, and it's about being able to keep a really full auditable record of everything that's happened um, and also add layers of automation on top of that so we can actually totally re remove the human and kind of manual process from that. That's a really interesting example of how in real estate benefit can uh, come from using blockchain. Simon, can you think of any other examples how organisations are currently or in the future uh, will be benefiting from the technology? I think it's really interesting to see where a lot of the investment is going um, around blockchain technology and frankly it is in financial services. Um, if you think about uh, industries where margins are important, so I'm thinking investment banking which in terms of their model and trading is based on very small margins, anything that can give them an edge will be uh, will be beneficial. So there's something which we can talk about a little bit later, but something quite interesting around what's called smart contract technology, which integrates in blockchain. And essentially, because you know there's a trusted ledger um, and an accurate account of um, data and value, you can use that smart contract to check against that and automatically make trades and that removes a lot of the uh, a lot of the paperwork and manual processes currently happening in investment banks which is why they're so interested in it but i also do think there's a huge benefit for society as well i think of um, human trafficking for example one of the major issues with human trafficking is whilst people are rescued the problem is people don't have identity and there's a real role that blockchain could potentially play. And I know there are some NGOs exploring this already to help people give identity and have identity. Um, because how do you know who you are, your education? How can you build a life uh, once you've been rescued? So there are very kind of human interest uh, and, and uh, social aspects of blockchain that can also be explored. That's really interesting. Okay, we're talking all things blockchain in this episode. But first, let's take a quick listen back to the last episode of Sideload, where we discussed how technology will shape the next generation. I think, you know, if I asked my children what an encyclopedia was, they would hmm. stare at me blankly and have no idea. But they know if they want to find something out, they will ask Google or they will ask it or they will search on Google or ask Alexa. That's how it works in our house. Um, so some things for them are so much easier. I think they know a lot more about the world than I did at that age and they certainly know how to find it out a lot easier than I did. It's much more instant than it was for me. You're listening to Sideload and today we're discussing blockchain. What is it? Does it have genuine application or is it just hot air? Uh, we're still here with Edelman's Global Head of Emerge, Simon Chan, and TechTales founder, Liberty York. So before the break, we touched on some of the societal benefits of uh, blockchain. Clearly, blockchain has incredible potential. Um, but Liberty, do you foresee any major pitfalls with blockchain? 
We're definitely, I think, experiencing some kind of issues and some of these are teething problems and some of these are genuine, uh, almost like societal issues that we're going to have to run up against because blockchain, as I mentioned, is kind of like an infrastructure technology and that means us changing the way we approach certain situations. And so with that, there's going to come choices which have um, positives, have negatives and those balance out in different ways. Um, Some specific kind of pitfalls um, that we're seeing, you know, one is that um, crypto currencies which are kind of built on blockchain and use blockchain as an accounting system these are uh, digital cash systems which are not issued by a bank they're not issued by a nation they're kind of more independently managed Um, and some of these um, have been used a lot uh, on the dark web and in criminal activities because they're less easy to track if a currency is not held by a particular nation it's very difficult to lock down somebody's assets Um, and so that's certainly a pitfall it's something that basically the freedom that has come with cryptocurrencies and the independence that some you know people find very positive uh, being removed by banks it comes with that problem that there is this kind of um it's become very interesting for criminals i think a second thing that is the, the kind of phrase garbage in garbage out and this totally applies to blockchain so blockchain is about kind of managing transactions and data and information that kind of goes into the blockchain once something is on the blockchain um it's very difficult to change in fact it's it's theoretically possible but it's virtually impossible it would take a huge amount of energy of kind of um expertise to be able to kind of change something that is submitted to the ledger just by the virtue of the way it's built but the problem with that is if let's say we take the case of identity let's say that when you're born something is submitted wrong to the ledger that's linked to your identity how do you go about changing that and it's that thing that if if what the information that the blockchain is getting is not right then you will get the garbage out principle as well and i would build on that point um i about two years ago, I came up with a, a movie script because I looked at blockchain and, you know, you have um, movies around AI, you have <clears throat> movies around robots. I was like, what if you had a dystopian movie around blockchain? And what came to mind, um, I thoroughly encourage you, you read the script, it's on the Huffington Post. Um, but we, all, we always talk about the right to forget and the right to forgive in our justice system in society. Mm. If everything becomes, everything that's good, bad or indifferent is becoming a permanent part of our lives, what does that say about the way we feud the justice system where you can, you know, you, you commit a crime, you pay your debt back into society and society should forgive you for mm. that? Um, our identity and things that happen and um, are on Google, on Bing or whatever search engine um, we have the right to forget here in Europe. Like, how does that work? Um, so there's also that kind of element of, does this send a wrong message? Do we need to find ultimately um, the right way to use blockchain for good in our own societal values? Um, and another interesting point uh, and pitfall is actually around energy usage. Um, Libby, you mentioned it takes a lot of energy to uh, essentially crack the blockchain. But it also takes a lot of energy if you're using a, what's called a, a proof of work concept. Um, it, it uses a lot of energy um, because every single computer um, or node is mining, is managing, and they're rewarded for that. But it requires a lot of energy and increasing amounts. I think there was a stat uh, which said that in November, just on Bitcoin blockchain alone, and bear in mind there are lots of kind of different blockchains, in Bitcoin blockchain alone, um, November used more energy than the entire country of uh, of Ireland 
just to manage uh, transactions on the on that blockchain. Well. Mm-hmm. Additionally, linked to the kind of energy thing, and certainly an example of public blockchains such as um, Bitcoin the cost of energy in different countries completely varies. So you've actually kind of seen a pooling of these, um, basically a pooling of kind of um, blockchain authority in certain countries where it's much, much, much cheaper um, to manage these systems. And so what question does that raise in, in our society about, um, you know, where are the designated kind of centres for this kind of money management? And does it, do we still get that independence if a huge majority of the kind of, the kind of nodes on the system are located in a certain country? Um, so that raises an interesting point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Libby, you raised uh, cryptocurrencies earlier. I know quite often um, blockchain companies don't want to be thrown into the same bag as uh, cryptocurrencies. Now the bubble seems to have burst with cryptocurrencies. Does this spell game over for Bitcoin and the like? Yeah, I'm always cautious like when we kind of talk about bubbles, because when we're talking about bubbles we're talking about people speculating on value um, and so that certainly kind of applies to cryptocurrencies lots of people are speculating on you know the, the value of the trading there um, but for blockchain I think we can look at things in a slightly um, different manner and I think we shouldn't be afraid of what we're seeing at the moment which is a certain kind of exuberance around this technology which exceeds its current capability you know the ideas that we're having around blockchain you know that we're still having difficulties in implementing not necessarily um, in some cases because of the technology, but because of the way we need to restructure our current systems. And the thing I'd say is that that's always been the case. If you look, so I was recently doing something about um, the rise of television, and you know, television only really takes off in the kind of 1940s even in the UK, 1920s, 1930s, the BBC starts to kind of um, become involved in it. But even as early as the 1880s, when the technology was really conceived and, you know, some of the technology was being invented for the television, you see these fantastic cartoons of people envisaging their lives changing with tech, uh, with television um, and I think that's kind of the stage that you, you get to with an emerging technology is people really latch onto it, they understand the difference it can make to their lives but it, we're not necessarily there yet in terms of capability and implementation um, but that will come I think as more and more people invest in this and we see the results of that investment. I'm from a financial services background and I look at this and I think um, it's not too dissimilar to any market or any stock or any equity um, you know, with with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum being the top two, um, of course the price is going to increase as more people get on. There's increased awareness, and you know, I, I remember probably about half a year ago, um, you know, Bitcoin was making it into lifestyle magazines, into women's magazines. It's it's bizarre. It's it's come into the mainstream, and as more people are interested and more people get on, of course, it's going to increase. But comes to point, all like with all things, they'll come to a natural, uh, a natural end and a natural uh, area of stability. And I feel that's where we're we're heading towards a natural equilibrium, if you will. I think it, the real proof is about. Um so you know if we talk about emerging technologies where does something actually become an emerging technology and where does it sort of start to um, sort Mm. of really take off and for me I think we're starting to see real not just use cases which are theorised but actual examples of blockchain and practice and blockchain working and and supporting things that are happening so you know earlier this year in the finance sector HSBC and ING announced that they had used blockchain um, to support a trade of soya beans I think it was um, between Argentina and Malaysia Um, and so the more that we start to see that like start to see blockchain in the real world making a real difference Um, so this was an example of trade finance which is very 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 paper heavy very manual 
Um, and so, you know, there's a real enthusiasm to get that onto some kind of digitized, automated system to make it more efficient. The more we see of that, the more that this is just going to strengthen the interest in what's happening. And these are starting to trickle through. Why only trickle through? If that is where the future lies with blockchain, why aren't we seeing um, this happening more and more? It's, I guess it's a kind of snow... I feel with any technology, you have a kind of snowballing effect because people need to experiment. You know, there's, there's various different reasons. You know, so my, my background is in kind of, uh, you know, actually seeing, you know, innovation projects take off and seeing innovation being implemented in environments. And you're, you, you have sort of there sometimes less technical difficulties. Um, you know, the technology is being developed by lots of people who are, you know, are very, very smart about this. But you actually have cost implications. You know, blockchain it would could completely transform the way that a bank works. So how does a bank deal with it? How does it shift its whole organisation to really leverage the power of blockchain? And so that's why you're seeing them, them sort of tackle little parts of the process that really could benefit from it. Sure. And I would be really provocative as to say there's also uh, a point around the institutions built around trust. Um, essentially, frankly, um, if we think about blockchain and its origins and where the community sees it, is a decentralized way of um, of managing value and frankly uh, is a threat or could be a threat to a lot of these institutions like banks who have built themselves around trust and built themselves around centralization and you know um, I don't think it will head that way ultimately but certainly in the short term uh, you know limited to your point they are looking at where they can have the benefits but equally I think they are recognizing that um, there is a level of threat um, to their ultimate business model in the long term. So, comms industry perspective, what role can we play to promote blockchain rather than simply just jumping on the bandwagon? Yeah, I'm, I'm always against um, contributing to the hype. I don't think it's particularly helpful, um, which sounds weird for a comms person, but when yeah. it, <laughs> which when it comes to blockchain, I genuinely think that um, what's lacking is a rational voice um, I look at the crypto headlines, which you were talking about earlier, Chris, and there's no filter. Bitcoin goes up, Ethereum goes down or whatever it is. It just gets um, publicized as it is. And no one's kind of making a distinction between um, blockchain and its applications. I think we definitely need to celebrate and talk about the real world applications more. I think we need to be talking a little bit more around and educating people around the importance of infrastructure and what it means is a very complicated subject. There's different things, there's proof of state, proof of work, and the implications are very different. Um, and it's very difficult for a non-tech audience to understand that. I also think that if you look at recent events, um, Bitmain, for example, has announced its IPO. Um, now, that means what we're seeing there is blockchain companies coming out of the real tech media has become uh, the mainstream business media is, is in a bit mainstream business media. Um, and my worry here is that uh, there's still a gap, a gap in understanding and gap in knowledge. And, I, and my worry is that the hype and a certain direction will take this into a place where we shouldn't be talking about or seeing uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies. I'd also add that I think one thing that uh, certainly someone can sort of take the role on and sort of play is um, this is about 
questioning what the blueprint for our society for the way that businesses work um, we have the opportunity to create a new blueprint here and I think there's there's a role for people to play in sort of asking businesses people you know what do we want from this you know um, one of the key things that really excites me personally about blockchain I think possibly because of the last year and sort of what we've seen when it comes to personal data um, and how that information is used is actually with blockchain, we really can see a transition uh, of uh, personal information, information about you, rather than it being hosted with uh, loads of organisations, it actually comes to be seated back with you. You own it, you choose who gets access to it, when and for what reason. And I think that is transformative. And I think it's also about standing up for individuals as citizens and individuals who, uh, yes, they might have valuable information uh, that businesses need legitimately to use and need legitimately to access, but they should always be the one that's in the know and can kind of ultimately be the owner of that information and so I think there's a kind of role for, for uh, people to play in sort of talking about how blockchain is going to change our lives and whether we we want that there are some good bits there are some bad bits you know how we navigate that so it's not just necessarily about like all oh, the technology this is this is who's implementing it this is how it's working but how but actually having a more social discussion how do we want things to change Simon touched on it before the uh, the element about trust and one of the findings um to come out of the Edelman Trust Barometer is the fact that newer tech innovations such as blockchain aren't as trusted as they need to be to gain acceptance. Liberty, from your work with, with the public, how do you think this can be combated? Mm, this is a this is a really good question. I think it, it's... Um, I, I, if you have a situation with a lack of trust, there's no silver bullet that is going to make things better other than just a system provably working incredibly well at everything that it's tasked to do and we're not there yet in a way that people can really relate to and access. Um, so for me, it's about... Um, there's certainly an amount of setting expectations. I think you kind of touched on this, which is, um, you know, it's fine to not trust it because actually, um, yes, we're talking about blockchain being rolled out to, you know, manage the finance system or for some people they want an entire new currency that is, you know, not linked to any nation or anything like that. Yes, that's possible. And actually the technology is there, but it's not being implemented. We're not seeing it yet. I think it's about setting expectations that that's something that uh, could happen. And this, these are the various different steps and stages that we'll be going through at the moment. Um, before we kind of see it really implemented so that's where I think the trust is going to be built up is rather than saying here is the future it's going to happen tomorrow actually sort of saying more this is where we're at and this is where things need to go um, before we can really start to leverage the benefits in your life today yeah I certainly think businesses in this space have a duty of care to explain and demonstrate not just talk about the impact of this on society, the impact on our planet, and the impact on prosperity. I mean, if I mean, I've seen great examples. Trade finance is a fantastic example um, where blockchain can be used to enable a fairer, more transparent way of uh, of trading, especially in places like Africa around um, uh, the exchange of crops with some of the cooperatives, for instance. Um, but I think there's a real uh, there's a real need for business to really step up. Um, and not make the mistakes of some of the organised, some of the tech companies in the past who've had kind of the social impact as an afterthought. 
Mm. I think that, that, that that's a really good point as well. Another thing that I think people should do is, uh, you know, th- when people say, when we talk about, you know, blockchain is about replacing trust, it's very difficult for people to really relate to that here in the UK because we do trust our systems. You know, the banks work to a large extent. You know, our government works to a large extent. Uh, you know, things do get done. They might be slow. You know, the Piccadilly line is kind of on strike, so that may not work, but it's sort of temporary and we get things done. That is not the case in many, many many, many places around the world. I think there was recent stats that something like two to three billion people still in the world are still unbanked. That means that they have no bank account and the impacts for that on, you know, their ability to lift themselves out of poverty are extreme. So actually the benefits of blockchain, you know, it's not necessarily here. You know, we have systems that work and we have, you know, to transfer fully to blockchain systems, it's going to take a huge amount of investment. Sometimes these things are probably going to be better off in countries where they don't have that level of governance and infrastructure or where corruption is a huge problem. And so having, for example, a land registry system that you absolutely trust and there's not going to be an official taking bribes behind you at their back to sell your property from underneath you, that's where I think we're really going to see a difference being made. Um, Both of you have touched on the importance of speaking more about um, real-life applications of blockchain. So just to finish up with the fun part, what's your favourite application of blockchain technology and why? My favourite by far is a company called Wallamai, uh, based in Shanghai in China because of its social impact and its social purpose. So in China, counterfeit baby milk formula or milk powder is a well-known issue. And sadly, a lot of babies every year get ill or die from it. It's, it's, it's a fact. As a result, um, a lot of parents, they will buy European brands um, because um, food safety and food standards in Europe are generally considered world-class and very well-respected and they have trust in that. Now, of course, the counterfeiters, what are they going to do? They're going to create um, European-branded uh, milk powder uh, and, and sell them. So how do you know it's come from Europe? How do you know it's come from a, kind of a, a, a place where food safety uh, is high and you've got the standards there? So what these guys do, very interesting company, they have um, RFID tags that are kind of... Um, uh, one use only. They have them um, placed on the uh, on the tins in the Netherlands, and as the tins get shipped to China, um, they're tracked on a blockchain. So then, when a when a consumer at the end scans the chip, they can have that assurance that it's actually come from Europe, um, and it hasn't been. A, it's not a counterfeit solution. But they've taken it one step further, which I think is really interesting. They've realised that in that scanning process, you can create a loyalty system. And in creating a loyalty system, you can educate and almost programme people to understand the importance of uh, buying authentic products and having that reassurance that you can have authentic products and not so things that won't harm your harm your baby, harm your family, or or, or etc. Um, so they created a loyalty scheme. So every time you scan it rewards you. So from a social perspective, you understand um, this is the label that you can have for trust um, and it's not going to harm your baby. And then the the rewards can be used in other areas to buy other products. Um, I mean, at the moment, they're focused on this, but it could be it could be pharmaceutical, it could be alcohol, it could be other products where there's a high risk of counterfeiting. So I think that's quite interesting, personally. Mm. I have a particular interest in the uh, 
sector of the creative industries. So I think it's because I've got two brothers, uh, one of whom works in the media and one of whom's a musician. So I'm really particularly interested in innovations that happen in this space. And one of the problems that really happens in creative industries, um, particularly, for example, in music, is the issue of copyright and who owns, how do you show that you own and you came up with a certain, uh, essentially kind of string of notes and uh, melodies. Um, and so there's, uh, there's a number of different people that have been working on things in this space um, across music, across art, various different things to try and create a ledger that can record ownership, but also add that layer of automation on top in terms of transactions. Um, so um, there's one report, for instance, I've seen that says it's about one billion pounds, uh, one billion dollars in unclaimed revenues uh, through for musicians because it's just so difficult to track where their music gets used, where it gets played on TV, might be played on the radio, um, and so there's many thousands of different sources of uh, potential revenue. A lot of people are sort of envisaging, uh, you know, a concept, you know, that's still kind of being built, that still needs to be realised about could you create a layer where the ownership is all recorded on one ledger and then there's some kind of transaction system that allows people to purchase and license that material to make sure that the money goes to musicians. Um, I think that's particularly interesting. Uh, there are various examples of people that are looking at this uh, in photography. There's Kodak One. Um, so uh, Kodak are looking to try and make a uh, record of all, so allow photographers to record ownership of a particular photo and then license that out to be used in magazines etc. There was another company called Ascribe who did this with um, art um, in the art industry it's very difficult sometimes you have cases of fraud how do you prove that you just really own something um, and that it really did come from the artists themselves um, I think these are really great example um, of uh, what's happening at this stage of kind of young businesses playing around with uh, blockchain because they've since shut that down um, and they've started to actually work on more of the database technology that they built with Ascribe and I think it's just a useful reminder that they had a great idea and it's something that's still being picked up but they said look we're too early to this you know um, so the technology still needs to be developed uh, for to be really implemented in a way that can be really valuable and useful to society. So they're still working in a similar space, um, but I just think it's an interesting narrative about how you know we're seeing some businesses are saying, actually, do you know what? We are too early to this, and we've still got a bit of a way to go before this is realised. Those are two really interesting examples, and I bet actually you could talk for 10 minutes coming up with loads more examples just as interesting. Unfortunately, we don't have time for that, but Liberty, Simon, thanks for joining us on the show, uh, and thanks to you for listening to Sideload. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. See you next time.